Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, July 7th, 2016, so we're talking about energy, materials, and industrials. On today's show, we have our guest, Motley Fool contributor Matthew Delalo, who is joining us via Skype. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. You bet. How's your fourth? Yeah, it was pretty good. It's nice and warm down here in Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah, did you uh, get to see any fireworks? Because we kind of got rained out, and even though they shot them off in D.C., you could not see them except on TV. Yeah, you know, my neighbors have been shooting off a bunch of fireworks, so that's about all we got to see. Um, but it was still a nice day otherwise. Keeping it classy with the backyard fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so first up on today's show, um, and for our listeners that are not aware, Matt here is one of our top oily type energy investor uh, writers. Um, great stuff. I pretty much read everything that uh, you put out, Matt. If I don't edit it, I just read it just so I have a better understanding for what's going on in the energy markets these days. Um, so we got some big news this week that I wanted to get your thoughts on. The U.S. is number one in terms of oil reserves now. When did that happen? Yeah, whoever expected that to happen? Um, according to this doing- energy consultancy in Nor- Norway, I think it's Norway, Rystead Energy, they believe that the U.S. has 264 billion barrels of recoverable oil. Just to put that in perspective, uh, last year we used 7 billion barrels, so that's like 37 years of oil right there. And um, from what they gather, about half of that shale. So this is that shale boom has just uncovered so much oil that we just didn't expect we would be able to recover. Right. And um, that puts us like over what Saudi Arabia has and over what Russia has. Um, However, uh, Saudi Arabia hasn't updated their estimates in like decades. So we're not even sure what they have. Aren't they Aren't they like notoriously coy and we don't actually know and or trust anything that they say about their reserves? Absolutely. Um, from the report I read, the last time they had updated their numbers was like 1989. Oh, and so um, they're either like remarkable and being able to produce like, uh, you know, millions of barrels a day and finding more. Or they just haven't updated their numbers. Um, however, we should know more. They're supposed to IPO part of their Saudi Aramco. Yeah. So once they do that, they they really do need to disclose what the actual reserves are because that's how um, oil companies are valued. So we should actually have a better idea of what they have or don't have um, within the next year or so. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. Do you think they'll actually come out with their reserves? Cause that seems like one of those, the cards they always like to keep close to their chests. I doubt it. Um, <laughs> they, they might put some number out there and if they do, I don't think it'll deviate too much from what is already out there. Um, just because it would look bad, you know, if, uh, in, you know, all the, they're trying to do an IPO and make, you know, cash in on some of the value of Saudi Aramco. So if it doesn't have anywhere near the reserves that they thought, that just wouldn't go over well with the market. So right. I think the number will be what you know we're used to, which is that two hundred and you know something billion dollar, or billion barrels. So talk to me about Russia. Um, so they supposedly have two hundred and fifty six billion barrels of recoverable oil. Do we trust that? Uh, probably more so than Saudi Arabia, just because um, we they haven't been producing to the same rate. Uh, you know, their their actual production's like right up there with Saudi Arabia, but there's a lot of 
um, technology that they're using. And they have a lot of oil in the Arctic mm-hmm. and in Siberian places like that. So I, I think those numbers are a little bit more realistic. Um, they're not trying to corner the oil market like Saudi Arabia is. So I would I would trust that number. Okay. So correct me if I'm wrong, but um, whenever I was reading analysis of you know oil markets and reserves and everything over the last two years, really since the downturn started in November 2014, um, there seems to be a big dichotomy between um, U.S. supply numbers, let alone reserves, as opposed to the rest of the world. And the bottom line is we actually know way more about U.S. supply and demand than the world. And that's something that a lot of Wall Street analysts don't usually take into account. Yeah, well, a lot of it has to do with we have so much data for U.S. supplies, and it's just become such a big topic of discussion with Shell. You, if you look at a chart of U.S. production for like 25 years, it was consistently going down, and then all of a sudden, I think it was like 2008, 2009, uh, it just shot up because right. they were able to use hydraulic fracturing and horizontal drilling to just unlock all this oil. And as they've done that, they've gathered all this data that just shows how much, and they're finding so much more of it in just different layers. You know, you hear about these different shale plays, and, you know, it's like a big, um, they, almost like a pancake stack, they say. And in each layer is, you know, more oil, so they can kind of tackle these different layers. And it just has expanded, um, you know, just the reserves and the data we have. So it's been pretty amazing to watch. So as things stand right now, how much oil is on planet Earth? According to Rystead, and, you know, any it's anybody's guess, but they say 2.1 trillion barrels of recoverable oil. And so there's different ways of, of gathering it. There's uh, proved reserves, which is what we realistically think we can economically produce today. Then there's what are called probable reserves. And that is what we think is there. And maybe with some technology changes or higher oil prices, we can get that. And then there are, um, you know, these other um, inferences that they they think is there. So that's what this number is based off of, is this, you know, this is what we think we can get over time. And so just to put it in perspective again, that's 70 times the current production rate of the world. So basically 70 years worth of oil um, then it's gone. Think, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, even to put that number in perspective, the Canadian oil stands, they think there's like 1.3 trillion barrels, but oil would have to go a lot, lot higher to get well, some right. of that. So that was my question with, you know, the 2.1 trillion barrels of recoverable oil, according to Reistad, all that stuff, you know, what you were just saying. Is that at $30 oil? Is it at 50 Like, do you know anything about the economics? Because I know that a lot of companies have had to take a hit to their reserves just because oil was at $27 earlier this year. It wasn't economic to get a lot of it out of the ground, so they had to take a whack at their reserves. Yeah, and this isn't – so what those reserves are is the proof reserves, and those, uh, according to SEC, are – what is technologically producible and economically producible. So that number is way, way lower. Um, According to the U.S. Energy Information Administration, the U.S. has 29 billion barrels. So that's about 10%. So Yeah, that seems low. (laughs) Yeah. And that number has been going higher and will go higher. Um, But again, it's a function of the oil price and whatnot. So this Rystead number, um, this isn't even based on 
just pure reserves. This is based on discoveries they anticipate us making over the over the years. So it, it's probably more based on what they would call the marginal supply of oil number, which is about right now $65, $70 a barrel. And what that means is that um, that's the price oil needs to be in order for companies to start ramping up their investments, particularly in like deep water and the Arctic and these higher cost plays. So that's pretty much what this number would infer. Oil would need to be probably about $80 a barrel. Got it. Okay. So that actually leads us to our next topic. Um, over the last year, I've been reading a lot about, and you, you would see it in like company presentations and Oil's crashing, but all these companies like EOG Resources or somebody, they were trying to, you know, assuage investor fears and they're saying, oh, don't worry about it. We're making just as much money at $45 oil as we were making in 2012 at $65 oil. Um, and the bottom line and the conclusion from all this is, is $80 a barrel in terms of profitability for U.S. oil companies, particularly shale producers, um, is it the new $100 oil? I mean, what what do you think? Absolutely. It's been remarkable to watch just how innovative these companies have become uh, in order to drive the cost down. Now, there, there's basically two types of costs that they'll have. There's the service costs, which is like, you know, hiring a Halliburton or a Schlumberger to come in and provide drilling services or whatnot. And then there's uh, just the innovative cost deflation that they've been able to capture. And this is the multi-well pads this is drilling longer laterals this is using you know getting more productive wells so a lot of this is fundamental structural meaning it'll be there in the future um so costs will come up so you know what they could earn at $30 a barrel isn't going to be you know the same margin if oil were to go to 80 because Companies like Schlumberger and Halliburton, they'll raise their prices. Mm -hmm. some, you know, and they've been cutting up, you know, in the last year and a half for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah, but there are certain um, efficiencies that they've gained that are permanent, and um, one of them is just drilling longer wells. So, you know, back in the day, uh, oil companies would drill straight down, it would, you know, vertical well, and try to tap a pool of oil. Today, they're doing this horizontal drilling. So they'll drill down and then they'll turn the well and go horizontally. And uh, at the start, they were just doing a couple thousand feet. Now they're doing two, three, four, five miles um, horizontally. Oh and So it's going down and then going yeah. five miles east, west, or north, or south or something. Right. So they'll go down two miles in a lot of cases, and then they'll go, you know, in, in any direction, several miles. And along the way, they're, you know, they're fracking, which is the actual breaking the rocks and whatnot. And so as they've kind of figured this stuff out, you know, they know that the longer they go, it costs, it might cost more to drill a 10,000 uh, foot well versus a 5,000 foot well, but you're not doing the stuff at the top, you know, so it's uh, uh, less per foot. So that's been a huge thing. You, know, you see a lot of companies, especially in the Permian Basin, that's why they're doing all these acreage exchanges and buying acreage. And it's so that they have a bigger uh, surface area that they can drill down, you know, the, and do these longer laterals. So that's been a huge thing. Uh, another big one is uh, to use more sand. And um, what that does is it props up the rocks underneath. So uh, 
uh, companies like Laredo Petroleum and uh, EOG Resources and Devon, they're finding the more sand that they pump down in these wells, the better. And, you know, it's just these little tweaks that they're making that are making a big impact. You know, so well that might have done a thousand barrels a day is now doing fifteen hundred barrels a day. Wow. And it's they're lasting longer, uh, you know, so that the decline, you know, it used to be 90 percent in one year. So a well that was doing a thousand barrels the first year might do, you know, a uh, hundred barrels the next year. But they're able to uh, adjust that through these little tweaks. And, you know, it's not just. Um, well, I guess we would we wouldn't even call them technology advances, but then you have actual technology on top of it where they're using data, uh, doing 3D seismic, and so what they'll do is they'll they basically have a picture of what it looks like underneath, and they'll have heat maps which will show this is where the sweet spot is. There's the most oil along this layer of rock and what they'll do is they'll drill down, they'll turn the well to follow that um, accumulation of oil, and then they'll frack along there. And, you know, it doesn't cost them all that much more, but the production they get back is so much better um, doing this that, you know, it has dropped the cost down to where $40 is the new break-even as opposed to 80 which was a couple years ago. Gotcha. So all of this seems to imply that um, – uh you know, the market being oversupplied with oil, but that might be here to stay. They're just able to get more oil on the ground. They're just going to keep doing this. But uh, you actually seem to have, um, and you're backed up by a bunch of analysts and oil CEOs, but um, kind of a bullish perspective on oil prices. What um, what do you see happening? Well, we have, see, there's a, there, the oil is there. It's just getting it out of the ground. And one of the, the, the things that I don't think a lot of people understand about oil is wells deplete and so a well that's producing a thousand barrels a day today will do, you know, 500 next year, 250 the next year. So that continually has to be replaced. And in addition to that, uh, demand is growing. Uh, low oil prices are, are, you know, making more people decide, oh, I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to drive. So, you know, you have those competing things where supplies are going down naturally and demand is going up. So, a lot of analysts and CEOs think that what's a glut today will be a shortfall by the end of this year. And it could be as much as a million barrels a day. And it could expand to 2 million barrels a day next year if companies don't ramp up investment. And that's kind of where I lean in the um, it's bad now, but it's going to get a lot better. And the profits are going to be really good because their costs are so much lower now. So they can make, you know, and upwards of like 40 bucks a barrel um, if oil goes to 80. That's a huge, huge, huge profit margin. Got it. So, yeah, it looks much more exciting after the past couple of years. Yeah, they, uh, what was it, adapt or die? Um, what was it Harold Ham was saying he thought oil would be at at the end of the year? It was like 70 bucks or something? Yeah, and, you know, I take Harold Ham, you know, for a, you know, a grain of salt sometimes, but he does make a good case. He says 72 to, um, thereabouts, and, and he points out this big shortfall that's coming. Now he's been wrong a lot, but it doesn't mean he won't be, you know, right this time. And I think the data does back him up this time. Gotcha. Okay, great. So who really stands to benefit if all this bears bears out? I mean, is there uh, any companies that you definitely like, no matter what happens? But in, you know, especially in this scenario. 
Yeah, so the the two hot plays right now, the Permian Basin and what it's called the Stack Scoop play in uh, Oklahoma. And the reason they stand out is because they're economical to drill right now. Uh, Pioneer Natural Resources in the Permian Basin can earn a 50% rate of return at $50 oil. That's why they're growing their production like 12% this year, and they just added... Uh, more money to grow their production next year. They have a fantastic balance sheet. So whether oil stays where it is or goes higher, they stand to benefit. Other big shale kings like EOG Resources and uh, Devon Energy, they both have great positions in either the Permian uh, with this EOG and Devon, or uh, Devon also has the stack. So they're in those two key plays. And then as oil goes higher, it opens the door to these other plays. The Bakken becomes important again. The Eagleford becomes important again. Uh, there's some places out in the Rockies that, you know, these companies can tap in. So it's just, you know, uh, a huge window of opportunity for them. And then another one I would throw out there is uh, Halliburton. They have a huge North American, um, you know, uh, oil field service business. And as these companies wrap, ramp up, Halliburton's going to be the first call they make. Got it. Awesome. All right, Matt. Well, thank you for your thoughts. Have a great day. No problem. You too. Yep. That is it for us, folks. If you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that's industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people in this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have full more recommendations for or against those stocks, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Matt DeLallo, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!